Volume two, chapter fourteen of Rob Roy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter fourteen. Woe to the vanquished was stern Bruno's word, when sunk proud Rome beneath the Gallic sword. Woe to the vanquished when his massive blade bore down the scale against her ransom weighed, and on the field of foughten battle still woe knows no limits save the victor's will. The Gordiad I anxiously endeavoured to distinguish Dougal among the victors. I had little doubt that the part he had played was assumed, on purpose to lead the English officer into the defile, and I could not help admiring the address with which the ignorant and apparently half-brutal savage had veiled his purpose, and the affected reluctance with which he had suffered to be extracted from him, the false information which it must have been his purpose from the beginning to communicate. I foresaw we should incur some danger on approaching the victors in the first flush of their success, which was not unstained with cruelty, for one or two of the soldiers, whose wounds prevented them from rising, were poniarded by the victors, or rather by some ragged highland boys who had mingled with them. I concluded, therefore, it would be unsafe to present ourselves without some mediator, and, as Campbell, whom I now could not but identify with the celebrated freebooter Rob Roy, was nowhere to be seen, I resolved to claim the protection of his emiracy, Dougal. After gazing everywhere in vain, I at length retraced my steps to see what assistance I could individually render to my unlucky friend, when, to my great joy, I saw Mr. Jarvie delivered from his state of suspense, and, though very black in the face and much deranged in the garments, safely seated beneath the rock in front of which he had been so lately suspended i hastened to join him and offer my congratulations which he was at first far from receiving in the spirit of cordiality with which they were offered a heavy fit of coughing scarce permitted him breath enough to express the broken hints which he threw out against my sincerity <laughs> he said a friend <coughs> A friend sticketh closer than a brother. <coughs> when I came up here, Mr. Osbaldistone, to this country, cursed of God and man, <coughs> and forgive me for swearing, when a name man's errand about yours, do you think it was fair <coughs> to leave me first to be shot? or drowned between red-wood highlanders and redcoats, and next to be hung up between heaven and earth like an old potato bogle, without say muckle is trying, <gasps> say muckle is trying to relieve me. I made a thousand apologies, and laboured so hard to represent the impossibility of my affording him relief by my own unassisted exertions, that at length I succeeded, and the bailey, who was as placable as hasty in his temper, extended his favour to me once more. I next took the liberty of asking him how he had contrived to extricate himself. 
me extricate, I might hang there till the day of judgment, or I could hae helped myself, with my head hanging down on the tay-seed, and my heels on the t'other, like the yon scales in the way-house. It was the creature Dougal that extricated me, as he did yestreen. He cut it at the tails of my coat with his dark, and nearly gilly and him set me on my legs as cleverly as if I had never been eff. But to see what a thing good bread cloth is, had I been in any of your rotten French camlets now, or your drabbed berries, it would have screeded like an old rug with such weight as mine. But fair far the waver that I wrought the weft out, I swung and bobbed yonder as safe as a gabbard that's mirrored by a three-ply cable at the Brumilor. I now inquired what had become of his preserver. The creature, so he continued to call the Highland man, contrived to let me ken there would be danger in going near the lady till he came back and bade me stay here. I am oath the mind, he continued, that he's seeking after you. It's a considerate creature, and troth, I would swear he was right about the lady as he calls her tea. Helen Campbell was none of the most douce maidens, nor weakest wives neither, and folks say that Rob himself stands in awe of her. I doubt she winna ken me, for it's many years since we met. I'm clear for waiting for the ducal creature or we gang near her. I signified my acquiescence in this reasoning, but it was not the will of fate that day that the bailie's prudence should profit himself or any one else. Andrew Fairservice, though he had ceased to caper on the pinnacle upon the cessation of the firing which had given occasion for his whimsical exercise, continued, as perched on the top of an exposed cliff, too conspicuous an object to escape the sharp eyes of the highlanders, when they had time to look a little around them. We were apprised he was discovered by a wild halloo set up among the assembled victors, three or four of whom instantly plunged into the copsewood and ascended the rocky side of the hill in different directions towards the place where they had discovered this whimsical apparition. Those who arrived first within gunshot of poor Andrew did not trouble themselves to offer him any assistance in the ticklish posture of his affairs, but, levelling their long Spanish-barrelled guns, gave him to understand, by signs which admitted of no misconstruction, that he must contrive to come down and submit himself to their mercy, or to be marked at from beneath, like a regimental target set up for ball practice. With such a formidable hint for venturous exertion, Andrew Fairservice could no longer hesitate. The more imminent peril overcame his sense of that which seemed less inevitable, and he began to descend the cliff at all risks. Clutching to the ivy and oak stumps, and projecting fragments of rock with an almost feverish anxiety, and never failing, as circumstances left him a hand at liberty, to extend it to the plaited gentry below in an attitude of supplication, as if to deprecate the discharge of their levelled firearms. In a word, the fellow, under the influence of a counteracting motive for terror, 
achieved a safe descent from his perilous eminence which i verily believe nothing but the fear of instant death could have moved him to attempt the awkward mode of andrew's descent greatly amused the highlanders below who fired a shot or two while he was engaged in it without the purpose of injuring him as i believe but merely to enhance the amusement they derived from his extreme terror and the superlative exertions of agility to which it excited him at length he attained firm and comparatively level ground or rather to speak more correctly his foot slipping at the last point of descent he fell on the earth at his full length and was raised by the assistance of the highlanders who stood to receive him and who ere he gained his legs stripped him not only of the whole contents of his pockets but of periwig hat coat doublet stockings and shoes performing the feat with such admirable celerity that although he fell on his back a well-clothed and decent burgher-seeming serving-man he arose a forked uncased bald-pated beggarly-looking scarecrow without respect to the pain which his undefended toes experienced from the sharp encounter of the rocks over which they hurried him those who had detected andrew proceeded to drag him downward towards the road through all the intervening obstacles in the course of their descent mr jarvie and i became exposed to their lynx-eyed observation and instantly half a dozen of armed highlanders thronged around us with drawn dirks and swords pointed at our faces and throats and cocked pistols presented against our bodies to have offered resistance would have been madness especially as we had no weapons capable of supporting such a demonstration we therefore submitted to our fate and with great roughness on the part of those who assisted at our toilette were in the act of being reduced to as unsophisticated a state to use king lear's phrase as the plumeless biped andrew fairservice who stood shivering between fear and cold at a few yards distance good chance however saved us from this extremity of wretchedness for just as i had yielded up my cravat a smart steinkirk by the way and richly laced and the bailey had been disrobed of the fragments of his riding-coat entered dougal and the scene was changed by a high tone of expostulation mixed with oaths and threats as far as i could conjecture the tenor of his language from the violence of his gestures he compelled the plunderers however reluctant not only to give up their further depredations on our property but to restore the spoil they had already appropriated he snatched my cravat from the fellow who had seized it and twisted it in the zeal of his restitution around my neck with such suffocating energy as made me think that he had not only been during his residence at glasgow a substitute of the jailer but must moreover have taken lessons as an apprentice of the hangman he flung the tattered remnants of mr jarvie's coat around his shoulders and as more highlanders began to flock towards us from the high road he led the way downwards directing and commanding the others to afford us but particularly the bailey the assistance necessary to our descending with comparative ease and safety it was however in vain that andrew fairservice employed his lungs in obsecrating a share of dougal's protection or at least his interference to procure restoration of his shoes na na said dougal in reply 
she's no gentle poddy, I try. Her better say gangt barefoot, or she's mucklemistain. And leaving Andrew to follow at his leisure, or rather at such leisure as the surrounding crowd were pleased to indulge him with, he hurried us down to the pathway in which the skirmish had been fought, and hastened to present us as additional captives to the female leader of his band. We were dragged before her accordingly, Dougal fighting, struggling, screaming as if he were the party most apprehensive of hurt, and repulsing by threats and efforts all those who attempted to take a nearer interest in our capture than he seemed to do himself. At length we were placed before the heroine of the day, whose appearance, as well as those of the savage, uncouth, yet martial figures who surrounded us, struck me, to own the truth, with considerable apprehension. I do not know if Helen MacGregor had personally mingled in the fray, and indeed I was afterwards given to understand the contrary. But the specks of blood on her brow, her hands and naked arms, as well as on the blade of her sword which she continued to hold in her hand her flushed countenance and the disordered state of the raven locks which escaped from under the red bonnet and plume that formed her headdress seemed all to intimate that she had taken an immediate share in the conflict her keen black eyes and features expressed an imagination inflamed by the pride of gratified revenge and the triumph of victory Yet there was nothing positively sanguinary or cruel in her deportment, and she reminded me, when the immediate alarm of the interview was over, of some of the paintings I had seen of the inspired heroines in the Catholic churches of France. She was not, indeed, sufficiently beautiful for a Judith, nor had she the inspired expression of features which painters have given to Deborah, or to the wife of Heber the Kenite, at whose feet the strong oppressor of Israel, who dwelled in Harasheth of the Gentiles, bowed down, fell, and lay a dead man. Nevertheless, the enthusiasm by which she was agitated gave her countenance and deportment, wildly dignified in themselves, an air which made her approach nearly to the ideas of those wonderful artists who gave to the eye the heroines of scripture history. I was uncertain in what terms to accost a personage so uncommon, when Mr. Jarvie, breaking the ice with a preparatory cough, for the speed with which he had been brought into her presence had again impeded his respiration, addressed her as follows. <coughs> I am very happy to have this joyful opportunity. A quaver in his voice strongly belied the emphasis which he studiously laid on the word joyful. This joyful occasion, he resumed, trying to give the adjective a more suitable accentuation, to wish my kinsman Robin's wife a very good morning. Oh, oh, how we ye? By this time he had talked himself into his usual jog-trot manner exhibited a mixture of familiarity and self-importance. "'How's are we ye this lang team? Ye'll have forgotten me, Mrs. MacGregor Campbell, as your cousin. Uh, but ye'll mind my father, Deacon Nicol Jarvie, in the salt market of Glasgow. An honest man he was, and responsible, and a respect here and yours. See, as I said before, 
I'm right glad to see ye, Mrs. MacGregor Campbell, as my kinsman's wife. I would crave the liberty of a kinsman to salute ye, but that your giddies keep such a doleful fast hold on my arms. And, to speak heaven's truth unto magistrates, ye wouldn't be the worse of a cog full of water before ye welcomed your friends. There was something in the familiarity of this introduction which ill-suited the exalted state of temper of the person to whom it was addressed. Then, busied with distributing dreams of death and warm from conquest in a perilous encounter, "'What fellow are you,' she said, "'that dare to claim kindred with Thach MacGregor, and neither wear his dress nor speak his language? What? are ye that have the tongue and the habit of the hound and yet seek to lay down with the deer i dinna ken said the undaunted bailey if the kindred was ever been we'll read out to you yet cousin but it's kind and can be proved me mother elspeth macfarlane was the wife of my father, Deacon Nickel Jarvie, peace be with him, Beth, and Elspeth was the daughter of Pauline Macfarlane at the shilling of Loch Sloy. No, this Pauline Macfarlane, as his surviving daughter, Maggie Macfarlane, alias Macnab, her married Duncan Macnab, of us to cover Lacan, can testify. Stead as near to your good man, Robert MacGregor, as in the fourth degree of kindred for... The virago lopped the genealogical tree by demanding haughtily, If a stream of rushing water acknowledge any relation with the portion withdrawn from it, for the mean domestic uses of those who dwelt on its banks? Veritary kinswoman, said the bailey, but for all that, the baron would be glad to hide the milldam back again in simmer, when the chuggy stains are white in the sun. I can weel enough, ye highland folk, how does Glasgow people late and cheap for our language and our clays? But everybody speaks their native tongue that they learned in infancy, and it would be a daft-like thing to see me with my fat wame in this short heeland coat, and my poor short horse guarded below the knee, like iron o' your long-legged gillies. Mere by token, kinswoman, he continued, in defiance of various intimations by which Dougal seemed to recommend silence, as well as of the marks of impatience which the Amazon evinced at his loquacity, I would have ye to mind that the king's errand piles comes in the garge's gate, and that, for as high as ye may think of the good man, as it's right every wife should honour her husband, there's scripture warrant for that. Yet as high as ye heard him, as I was saying, I have been serviceable to rob Ernu, for by a set of pearlings I sent yourself when ye was gain to be married and when Rob was an honest wheel-doing drover, in name of this unlawful work, we fighting and flashes and froth-gibs, disturbing the king's peace and disarming his soldiers. He had apparently touched on a key which his kinswoman could not brook, 
she drew herself up to her full height and betrayed the acuteness of her feelings by a laugh of mingled scorn and bitterness yes she said ye and such as ye might claim our relation to us when we stooped to be the paltry wretches fit to exist under your dominion as your heels of wood and drawers of water to find cattle for your banquets and subjects for your laws to oppress and trample on but now we are free free by the very act which left us neither house nor hearth food nor covering which bereaved me of all of all and makes me groan when i think i must still cumber the earth for other purposes than that of vengeance and i will carry on the work this day has so well commenced by a deed that shall break all bonds between buckregger and the lowland chills here allan dougal bend these sashenachs neck and heel together and throw them into the highland loch to seek for their highland kinsfolk the bailey alarmed at this mandate was commencing an expostulation which probably would have only inflamed the violent passions of the person whom he addressed when dougal threw himself between them and in his own language which he spoke with a fluency and rapidity strongly contrasted by the slow imperfect and idiot-like manner in which he expressed himself in english poured forth what i doubt not was a very animated pleading in our behalf his mistress replied to him or rather cut short his harangue by exclaiming in english as if determined to make us taste in anticipation the full bitterness of death best dog and son of a dog do you dispute my commands should i tell you to cut out their tongues and put them in each other's throats to try which would their best can up run, or to tear out their hearts and put them into each other's breasts to see which would their best plot treason against the macarega and such things have been done of old in the day of revenge when our fathers had wrongs to redress should i command ye to do this would it be your part to dispute my orders to be sure to be sure dougal replied with accents of profound submission her pleasure should be done that's but reason but an it were that is an it could be thought the same to her to cope the ill for lean at a red-coat captain and him's corporal cramp and ta three of the red-coats into the loch itself would dit me muckle make great satisfaction than to head to honest little gentlemen's as were friends to the glegarach and came up on the chief's assurance and not to do no treason as herself could testify the lady was about to reply when a few wild strains of a pibroch were heard advancing up the road from aberfoyle the same probably which had reached the ears of captain thornton's rear-guard and determined him to force his way onward rather than return to the village on finding the pass occupied the skirmish being of very short duration the armed men who followed this martial melody had not although quickening their march when they heard the firing been able to arrive in time sufficient to take any share in their rencontre 
the victory therefore was complete without them and they now arrived only to share in the triumph of their countrymen there was a marked difference betwixt the appearance of these newcomers and that of the party by which our escort had been defeated and it was greatly in favour of the former among the highlanders who surrounded the chieftainess if i may presume to call her so without offence to grammar were men in the extremity of age boys scarce able to bear a sword and even women all in short whom the last necessity urges to take up arms and it added a shade of bitter shame to the detection which clouded thornton's manly countenance when he found that the numbers and position of a foe otherwise so despicable had enabled them to conquer his brave veterans but the thirty or forty highlanders who now joined the others were all men in the prime of youth or manhood active clean-made fellows whose short hose and belted plaids set out their sinewy limbs to the best advantage their arms were as superior to those of the first party as their dress and appearance the followers of the female chief had axes scythes and other antique weapons in aid of their guns and some had only clubs daggers and long knives but of the second party most had pistols at the belt and almost all had dirks hanging at the pouches which they wore in front each had a good gun in his hand and a broadsword by his side besides a stout round target made of light wood covered with leather and curiously studded with brass and having a steel spike screwed into the centre these hung on their left shoulder during a march or while they were engaged in exchanging fire with the enemy and were worn on their left arm when they charged with sword in hand but it was easy to see that this chosen band had not arrived from a victory such as they found their ill-appointed companions possessed of the pebrox sent forth occasionally a few wailing notes expressive of a very different sentiment from triumph and when they appeared before the wife of their chieftain it was in silence and with downcast and melancholy looks they paused when they approached her and the pipes again sent forth the same wild and melancholy strain helen rushed towards them with a countenance in which anger was mingled with apprehension what means this alistair she said to the minstrel why a lament in the moment of victory robert hamish where's the macgregor where's your father her sons who led the band advanced with slow and irresolute steps towards her and murmured a few words in gaelic at hearing which she set up a shriek that made the rocks ring again in which all the women and boys joined clapping their hands and yelling as if their lives had been expiring in the sound the mountain echoes silent since the military sounds of battle had ceased had now to answer these frantic and discordant shrieks of sorrow which drove the very night-birds from their haunts in the rocks as if they were startled to hear orgies more hideous and ill-omened than their own performed in the face of open day taken replied helen when the clamour had subsided taken captive and ye live to say so coward dogs did i nurse ye for this 
that you should spare your blood on your father's enemies or see him prisoner and come back to tell it the sons of macgregor to whom this expostulation was addressed were youths of whom the eldest had hardly attained his twentieth year hamish or james the elder of these youths was the tallest by a head and much handsomer than his brother his light blue eyes with a profusion of fair hair which streamed from under his smart blue bonnet made his whole appearance a most favourable specimen of the highland youth the younger was called robert but to distinguish him from his father the highlanders added the epithet oig or the young dark hair and dark features with a ruddy glow of health and animation and a form strong and well set beyond his years completed the sketch of the young mountaineer both now stood before their mother with countenances clouded with grief and shame and listened with the most respectful submission to the reproaches with which she loaded them at length when her resentment appeared in some degree to subside the eldest speaking in english probably that he might not be understood by their followers endeavoured respectfully to vindicate himself and his brother from his mother's reproaches i was so near him as to comprehend much of what he said and as it was of great consequence to me to be possessed of information in this strange crisis i failed not to listen as attentively as i could the macgregor his son stated had been called out upon a trysting with the lowland hallion who came with the token from he muttered the name very low but i thought it sounded like my own the macgregor he said accepted of the invitation but commanded the saxon who brought the message to be detained as a hostage that good faith should be observed to him accordingly he went to the place of appointment which had some wild highland name that i cannot remember attended only by angus Brick and little rory commanding no one to follow him within half an hour angus Brick came back with the doleful tidings that the macgregor had been surprised and made prisoner by a party of lennox militia under galbraith of garshattachin he added that galbraith on being threatened by macgregor who upon his capture menaced him with retaliation on the person of the hostage had treated the threat with great contempt replying let each side hang his man we'll hang the thief and your catarans may hang the gauger rob and the country will be rid of two damned things at once a whale heelander and a revenue officer angus Brick, less carefully looked to than his master contrived to escape from the hands of the captors after having been in their custody long enough to hear this discussion and to bring off the news and did ye learn this ye false-hearted traitor said the wife of macgregor and not instantly rushed to your father's rescue to bring him off and leave your body on the place the young macgregor modestly replied by representing the very superior force of the enemy and stated that as they made no preparation for leaving the country 
he had fallen back up the glen with the purpose of collecting a band sufficient to attempt a rescue with some tolerable chance of success at length he said the militiamen would quarter he understood in the neighbouring house of gartartan or the old castle in the port of monteith or some other stronghold which although strong and defensible was nevertheless capable of being surprised could they but get enough of men assembled for the purpose i understood afterwards that the rest of the freebooters followers were divided into two strong bands one destined to watch the remaining garrison of Invesnade, a party of which under captain thornton had been defeated and another to show front to the highland clans who had united with the regular troops and lowlanders in this hostile and combined invasion of that mountainous and desolate territory which lying between the lakes of loch lomond loch katrine and loch ard was at this time currently called rob roy's or the macgregor country messengers were dispatched in great haste to concentrate as i supposed their forces with a view to the proposed attack on the lowlanders and the dejection and despair at first visible on each countenance gave place to the hope of rescuing the leader and to the thirst of vengeance it was under the burning influence of the latter passion that the wife of macgregor commanded that the hostage exchanged for his safety should be brought into her presence i believe her sons had kept this unfortunate wretch out of her sight for fear of the consequences but if it was so their humane precaution only postponed his fate they dragged forward at her summons a wretch already half dead with terror in whose agonized features i recognized to my horror and astonishment my old acquaintance morris he fell prostrate before the female chief with an effort to clasp her knees from which she drew back as if his touch had been pollution so that all he could do in token of the extremity of his humiliation was to kiss the hem of her plaid i never heard entreaties for life poured forth with such agony of spirit the ecstasy of fear was such that instead of paralysing his tongue as on ordinary occasions it even rendered him eloquent and with cheeks pale as ashes hands compressed in agony eyes that seemed to be taking their last look of all mortal objects he protested with the deepest oath his total ignorance of any design on the person of rob roy whom he swore he loved and honoured as his own soul in the inconsistency of his terror he said he was but the agent of others and he muttered the name of rashleigh he prayed but for life for life he would give all he had in the world it was but life he asked life if it were to be prolonged under tortures and privations he asked only breath though it should be drawn in the damps of the lowest caverns of their hills it is impossible to describe the scorn the loathing and contempt with which the wife of macgregor regarded this wretched petitioner for the poor boon of existence i could have bid ye live she said had life been to you the same weary and wasting burden that it is to me that it is to every noble and generous mind but ye wretch 
ye could creep through the world unaffected by its various disgraces its ineffable miseries its constantly accumulating masses of crime and sorrow ye could live and enjoy yourself while the noble-minded are betrayed while nameless and bathless villains tread on the neck of the brave and the long-descended ye could enjoy yourself like a bitch's dog in the shambles buttoning on garbage when the slaughter of the oldest and best went on around ye this enjoyment you shall not live to partake of ye shall be best dog and that before yon cloud has passed over the sun she gave a brief command in gaelic to her attendants two of whom seized upon the prostrate suppliant and hurried him to the brink of a cliff which overhung the flood he set up the most piercing and dreadful cries that fear ever uttered i may well term them dreadful for they haunted my sleep for years afterwards as the murderers or executioners call them as you will dragged him along he recognised me even in that moment of horror and exclaimed in the last articulate words i ever heard him utter oh mr osbaldistone save me save me i was so much moved by this horrid spectacle that although in momentary expectation of sharing his fate i did attempt to speak in his behalf but as might have been expected my interference was sternly disregarded the victim was held fast by some while others binding a large heavy stone in a plaid tied it round his neck and others again eagerly stripped him of some part of his dress half naked and thus manacled they hurled him into the lake there about twelve feet deep with a loud halloo of vindictive triumph above which however his last death shriek the yell of mortal agony was distinctly heard the heavy burden splashed in the dark blue waters and the highlanders with their pole-axes and swords watched an instant to guard lest extricating himself from the load to which he was attached the victim might have struggled to regain the shore but the knot had been securely bound the wretched man sunk without effort the waters which his fall had disturbed settled calmly over him and the unit of that life for which he had pleaded so strongly was for ever withdrawn from the sum of human existence end of volume two chapter fourteen recording by felicity campbell whanganui new zealand